Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You know, the interesting thing is, yeah. I think you actually believe that I don't know when to start the program. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> You're right on the money there, Bob. I, so, uh, you know, another one of my character flaws. Uh, well, yeah, another one. I mean, and you've had several here today. Oh, thanks you, an You're awful off lot. to a rocky start. Thank you very, very much. It's nice to see you too, Mr. Mako. <laughs> and thank you for going down and uh, retrieving our first guest this morning. I couldn't find you. Listen, I get around in here. I like to interact with people. That's part of my charm here. Yeah. And I like to interact with more people than are on this floor. <laughs> there aren't too many people on this floor. That's why I like to interact with people on, uh, other, on, floors, the, on the other floors. Other floors as well, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mr. Minko is going to keep us up to date on happenings in the sporting world. As he has mentioned, it is a very, very wet day indeed. So uh, all those outdoor plans today, <laughs> kind of chancy. Um, we have a very good program uh, today. I'm very pleased to say the guest who has uh, joined us before in our program is actually in studio on um, this portion of our show today. Jonathan Bell is joining us in studio. He is a, a labor and employment attorney, the owner of Bell Law Group, and uh, he has joined us um, on our program for this first hour. It's nice to have you join us. Nice to meet you. Yeah, good morning, and uh, thanks for having me on again. I appreciate that. Good morning to you. Um, one of the things that um, with this area of law that you uh, practice, and actually, we got your mic on there. Um, this area of focus for you of employment law, I guess, in beginning our discussion, why that area of focus? So why why it interests me? Mm-hmm. It, it interests me because I always believe in uh, sticking up for the underdog. Uh, I found that uh, it's an area where sometimes people are taken advantage of. And, uh, and because of that, I felt the need uh, to be an advocate for those people who sometimes uh, can't stand up for themselves. Uh, they're in a work environment. Uh, they need to essentially make a living and uh, uh, feed their family. And sometimes they feel stuck in a situation where they're taken advantage of. They don't know what the laws are. They don't know uh, what, what they could do. And uh, I'm always uh, available to help. I, I say I spent a good amount of time on the phone with people, even if I know I can't help them, just so they understand why 
and they know what the rules are and what to look for in these types of matters. How complicated is employment law as an area? It's very complicated, and the reason it is is because uh, you have federal laws uh, dictating uh, uh, so there's some rules and regulations for federal laws. New York State has its own set of laws, and New York City have, has its own set of laws. So there's a lot of uh, uh, contradictory information, so you have to be uh, aware uh, of all three to make sure that you're giving your client good advice. It must be quite a task keeping up to date on this, because I assume, too, that you know things change, interpretations change, and, and different rulings and the like. Sure. Things change all the time, especially with employment, uh, pay, like minimum wage. Uh, I do represent um, uh, some companies uh, on, on that side as well, and, and they have questions when minimum wage changes. They don't want to be late for that change and things of that nature. So, yeah, it, there's always changing laws, including discrimination. There's some changing laws with discrimination now and again. Okay. Now... One of the things that we're going to get into in discussion is talking about this whole idea of um, discrimination in employment. We'll talk about uh, some cases that are looks like going to be considered by the U.S. Supreme Court and the significance of that as well. I also want to mention the fact that uh, during the course of this hour, what we will do is, if you're on point with what we're talking about, with Jonathan, we're happy to take your calls. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. And yes, we're talking with Jonathan Bell in uh, this first hour of our program this morning. This area of um, discrimination in employment, um, the natural first question with that always seems to be, how difficult is that to prove? It really depends on the case. Like everything else, it's a case-by-case basis. Some people come into my office with uh, evidence that uh, is so strong that you know right away you have a great uh, slam-dunk case. For example, somebody comes in uh, on a sexual harassment case with text messages and voicemails from their employer essentially uh, harassing them and forcing them to engage in sexual activity for a raise or promotion, uh, you know right away it's a slam-dunk case. Um, Other cases are more difficult to prove because nobody outwardly says they're taking an action uh, because of discrimination, because of your race or age, religion or gender. That's very, very rare that you get a direct case of discrimination. Oftentimes, you have to prove it through circumstantial evidence. And circumstantial evidence means you got to get comparator information. In other words, if I'm suing because I'm African-American, i got to show that they're treating me differently because I'm African-American, not because they don't like me. So in showing that, we have to show that all African-Americans are treated one way, and, and uh, other uh, individuals, uh, Caucasians, Asians, Hispanics, are potentially treated another way. And normally, you don't get that information until you're knee-deep into the case. You've served discovery demands, potentially you're doing depositions. So you could literally spend six months to a year prosecuting a, a difficult case. And after that time, you realize, hey, I have a great case. Or you have to have that difficult conversation with your client saying, hey, there's, you know, there's not, a, there's not a good case here. They have a legitimate, non-discriminatory reason for doing what they did. And the good thing about us and my firm is that we, we sit people down and we tell them up front. I tell people right away. I said, listen, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you it like it is, and I'm going to be truthful with you the entire time. And I, and six months to a year down the road, I might have to sit you down and tell you you don't have a case. And they usually appreciate that honesty. And then when we have to have that discussion, sometimes they, they'll understand. How does somebody know that they 
definitely need to talk to a lawyer. Uh, when they're in a work environment that uh, they believe they're being treated differently because of their age, uh, race, age, religion, gender, disability, uh, sexual orientation, in other words, a characteristic uh, outside of their actual job performance, that's a good indication they need to speak with a labor lawyer. Or, or they could just switch jobs, but sometimes new jobs are not so easy to come by if they just want to avoid the whole situation. Other times, people want to be a champion of their rights. So that's one situation. Another big situation that we deal with is a lot of wage and hour lawsuits, uh, people getting paid the same rate for the entire day, regardless of how many hours they work. Um, uh, you know, they're not being paid properly. They're improperly classified as an independent contractor uh, or exempt from the uh, FLSA versus non-exempt. So those are certain uh, cases we also take uh, in, in pretty heavy volume. Is that a big thing where, you know, people get classified as independent contractors? Because I'm assuming it's because the employers are looking to not have to pay them benefits. That's a huge thing. And a lot of times the people who do get paid as an independent contractors are happy on that status too because they get their full paycheck and they get to write off certain deductions. The only time people really come to me for those types of cases are, number one, if somebody's injured, all of a sudden uh, they're not covered by workers' comp because the employer didn't pay workers' comp. I personally don't do workers' comp, but I I tell them what their rights are and what they need to do. Mm -hmm. Or let's say they're just getting, they're working ridiculous hours and not getting paid uh, properly. They're working well over 40 hours a week. They're not getting paid their time and a half. They're getting some type of flat fee. That's the biggest situation that we uh, help individuals with. And and sometimes it ends up to be class or collective actions because they're doing it to a bunch of people. So those cases could be very, very valuable cases for us. But in the same token, we really, uh, you know, Bob, I hope this is coming through to your audience. I mean, we we really do it for the right reasons. We really want to help people um, who who really are in need uh, of our help and to get compensated for really what they're owed. Okay, there's a lot more areas to go when talking about um, discrimination and employment. What I said we'd do as well is to work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us. Let's go to the phones. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. First up is uh, Brian in Keyport. Uh, Brian, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Brian, still there? Nope, I guess not. Okay, Brian, a question or comment, something about minimum wage. I would imagine we'll probably get more of those because of some of the changes. And is there, I guess also, uh, Jonathan, is there at times confusion that's being dealt with because of the way in which minimum wage is changing Yeah, in, on these state levels too? Sure, sure. I, I mean, mo- most states follow the state laws, uh, such as New York is where I practice, so that's where I'm most familiar with. So it's not just one flat minimum wage that's the difficulty in in new york city if you have 11 or more employees the minimum wage now is 15 dollars. if you have 10 or less employees the minimum wage is 13 dollars and 50 cents if you're in long island uh, and westchester you're looking at 12 dollars an hour and uh, the rest of the state is i think is about 11 dollars and 10 or 15 cents something around there so it's complicated because it's like a it, it, it's different for different regions and different number of employees. So it could get a little bit uh, confusing at times, and it seems every year it's changing. Why is that so complex? I mean, that's 
you need a roadmap to figure out exactly which area, what wage applies. Yeah, so uh, you're, you're right. It, it is a little bit complicated. And then throw in people who get tips. They're, 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 they could get like tip, the employer could get tip credits as long as it's done properly. So that's a, that's a whole nother ball game. But uh, there's a push to bring minimum wage up to $15. And I think the thinking was, well, let's get those employers who could already pay $15 an hour, getting them at $15. And they figure people in New York City uh, who have businesses in New York City with 11 or more employees may have access to more funds to meet that $15 an hour threshold, while um, uh, businesses that have 10 or less employees might make less money and people in Long Island and Westchester. It's just basically a flat rule that they try to uh, make it as easy as possible to eventually get to that $15 minimum wage, which is going to happen in New York eventually. And what kind of um, potential um, penalties, repercussions are there for employers that don't comply with it? If you're not complying, you better start complying because you're going to end up paying a lot more. So uh, the statute of limitations in New York could go back six years. Uh, if you have a number of employees, these things could be brought as a collective or class action so you could get all the employees together. I'm sure I'm giving some people uh, some some uh, uh, digest- indigestion <laughs> right now. And and the penalties are pretty draconian. In other words, let's say they figure out that, that you owe uh, employees $100,000. Well, they're going to say, well, we're not going to just have you pay $100,000 or else everybody would try to get away with it. So they do liquidated damages, which double the 100. So once you owe 100, now the, the law says you owe $200,000. And not only do you owe $200,000, you have to pay a reasonable amount of the attorney's fees for the attorney who prosecuted the case. So a 100,000 savings that you think you're getting could end up to be a $300,000 uh, loss. Wow. Yikes. Yeah, and there's no pain and suffering here. So these things are literally just taking out your calculator and adding it up and, see, and seeing what the, uh, the liability and the amount of money that you owe. And sometimes it could put people out of business. And what makes matters worse is that you can't just file for bankruptcy. These things follow you, and there's actual personal liability for these types of claims. Jonathan Bell is who's talking with us in uh, this first hour of our program. He's a labor and employment attorney. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We're in discussion with Jonathan Bell on our program. Jonathan is a labor and employment attorney, the owner of Bell Law Group, and he is uh, kind enough to be talking with us this hour of our program. What I said we would do as well is to work in some thoughts and comments from some of the folks who are listening to us. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. We've got a lot of things to cover in uh, the course of this hour. Let's go to the phone uh, to somebody who's been holding for a while. Rich in, where are you calling us from, Rich? Good morning, LaGrangeville, New York, in La- Hudson Valley. Okay, LaGrangeville. Okay. Good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Good morning, gentlemen. I have a question uh, that pertains to my daughter. She works for a company that has offices nationwide. She works in New York State. She's been there about five years and has approximately 100 hours in her vacation back. Whoops. Rich, you still there? Yes, I'm here. Hello? Yes. Okay. You said about approximately 100 hours? Uh, 100 hours in a vacation bank. She's accepted an offer with another company, and she's being told that they do not pay out on the vacation. She has to lose it because in their employee handbook, they have a rule that 
you must apply to take your vacation approximately one month prior to the date. So because she's only giving two weeks' notice, she's told she has to forfeit the 100 hours. <laughs> and I just wondered if that was legal in New York State. Yeah, so uh, for vacation pay, it's really dictated by the employee handbook. Uh, the laws uh, really favor employees with respect to hours worked. On vacation, uh, where you're not working, it's not as strong. So it really depends upon the employee handbook and what they've done for prior employees. So if, if the handbook says that upon termination they lose those hours, then they lose them. Uh, if, in fact, the, it says that they uh, are entitled to be paid for those times upon termination, uh, they can be paid. So you have to look at what, what they've done for prior employees. Is it consistent? And that's where the discrimination component comes. If other people are being treated differently, uh, we got to figure out why. But if it's company policy and they've been doing it for everybody and it's in writing in a handbook, uh, then, they, then she does not, she's not required to be paid for the vacation time. Oh, I appreciate that answer. Unfortunately, it's consistent with the 30-day request window. It's silent on whether you get paid for it, but past practice has been they do not pay employees for the vacation. Yeah, so listen, there's, there's a lot of areas of the law that's, um, that's, that's in the gray, okay? They really should state in there. Their employee handbook might be deficient. It really should state one way or another whether or not they're entitled to be paid uh, upon, uh, upon leaving. So if it's silent to that issue and just has this 30-day requirement, it might be worth uh, further exploring and seeing if she might get paid. There might be, there might be something uh, uh, available to her. Um, uh, because you know that that employee handbook sounds awful. It's it, it's like in, it's in the middle. Uh, yes. they, they certainly can use past practices as a defense, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't. She might not have something. So, if you'd like, uh, if you want to call my office, I'll be in on Monday. I'll look further into the issue and I'll have an answer for you. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Okay, thank you, Rich. Thank you for holding on on the phone as long as you did, Jonathan. Excellent uh, points as well to mention. Your contact information. Sure. Uh, 516-280-3008 or an easier number, 855-JOHN-BELL, J-O-N-B-E-L-L, and we're in Garden City. Okay, 855-JOHN-BELL, that's J-O-N-B-E-L-L, and we're talking with Jonathan Bell. He's a a labor and employment attorney, the owner of Bell Law Group. He's talking with us this hour of our program on the fan. Back to the phones we go here at WFAN to Jerry in Brooklyn. Jerry, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning, Bob. Always, every Sunday, I'm up early listening to you, and I always say thank you for the free education. Thank you. Um, Jonathan, uh, I've been in employment, uh, career services, and education for about 35 years. I prefer people out for employment. The things that I've seen over the years blows me away. Um, I I just want to say that uh, I I like what I heard from you before when you said that uh, you'll stay on the phone and and help people. Um, You know, Jonathan, my motto has always been find a job for a person, and the chances are good that you've helped a family. And so those people that you help, I hope someday that uh, you sit back a little bit and reflect on those people that you do help and how many other people in their families uh, have benefited by that. Um, I have a question that was at the Supreme Court, and maybe, I don't know if you can answer this, but it was about the pastry baker and the gay couple that went in for a cake and uh, he refused to make it, Um, you know, it was against his religion. My question to you is, 
If that gay couple decided to pursue their case and went to Catholic Charities for a lawyer pro bono, and the response was from the nonprofit that they could not refer a lawyer to them because their religion does not support their lifestyle. Would Catholic Charities, just using that as an, as an example, be in violation, let's just say, of Colorado law? So uh, my expertise is uh, New York law. Right. Uh, so, but, so if, so if somebody, I, if it happened in New York, let's say then, Catholic Charities, let's take, forget Colorado, let's just take a hypothetical situation of that couple going to uh, Catholic Charities, and the response was the same in New York. Okay, I, I just want to make sure I understand your question. So uh, the discrimination laws in New York protect against discrimination in employment and things of housing. Is this an employment situation? Is someone looking for employment? or, or Well, no, if they just wanted to be represented, if they wanted to hire or go, go to a lawyer pro bono, and and the organization refused to send them a lawyer to represent them uh, because the the nonprofit uh, re- refused to uh, it wasn't it wasn't part of their lifestyle. I use Catholic charities. I'm just wondering, would they be in in violation, let's say, of New York law if if a if a nonprofit refused to have a lawyer, let's just say, that worked for their nonprofits? Yeah, so, um, again, just to be completely honest with you, so my, my expertise is really in the employment arena because there really is no employee-employer relationship there. My right. my gut tells you that, that, that there's probably nothing that, that they can do, um, uh, but uh, at the same token, it's really a, a little bit outside of my expertise. Uh, my focus through my career has always been the employer-employee relationship, oh, yeah. okay. and, that, and that's right. where really the laws uh, in New York and federal laws uh, ha- have rested. There's some housing stuff too, but I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't normally get involved in that either. My my my, my area is you know I I know I learned early in my career. Hey, stay stay in your lane. Become become an expert right. in your lane, and don't don't veer out too much. So I apologize. <laughs> I can't give you a best no, answer, but no, that, that's I, as honest as I could possibly be. No. Thank you. And, and let me just ask one more quick question. Those, those smaller employers that have 10 or less employees, don't they cap out to $15 per hour next year in 2020 in New York City? Yeah, it, it, does, it does go up next, it does go up next right. year. Um, I do believe next year goes up to $15 per hour right. Uh, right. Uh, after December 31st. And how do you feel about that? One more quick question. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, $15 an hour is is $600 a week. It's $30,000 per year. There are jobs that are not worth $15 an hour uh, with smaller employers. Um, do, you, uh, do you think it's going to work? Uh, how do you feel about that? Thanks, Bob. Have a great day, guys. Okay. okay. Yeah, to, to, to be honest with you, I could see both sides of the coin. Uh, um you know, someone who works a full-time job uh, 40 hours a week should be able to afford to pay uh, for, for a home, for food, and things of that nature. So I understand the increase. On the other hand, I do understand the toll that it takes on small businesses. $15 an hour uh, is a lot of money. It might put some small businesses out of business, or it might increase uh, the fees uh, to the general public. So I, I, I understand the concern. And, um, you know, I, again, I, I could see I could see both sides of the argument here. Uh, but I do at the end, I do believe that if someone's working 40 hours a week, 
uh, they really shouldn't have to be looking for a second or third job because um, because they can't afford to live on the, uh, on their pay. Hopefully that uh, addressed the question that you raised, Jerry, and thank you for your call this morning. Next up, we stay in Brooklyn and go to McCloskey, who's been waiting for some time. McCloskey, welcome to the fan. Thank you very much for taking my phone call. I'll tell you what my problem was. I was working, and I was working overtime. The company falsified the records. When they put in the records, they didn't pay me for the overtime. Okay, falsified the records. I went to the Department of Labor. The Department of Labor told me I wasn't entitled to the overtime. I went back to the Department of Labor. The Department of Labor said, we told you last week you're not entitled to the overtime. Later on, I went back to them, and the guy told me everything he told me was wrong. I was entitled to everything. I said, I'm good. Now, give me permission to, to, uh, to you know, the time period already elapsed, uh, the claim for the overtime. He said, I should get a lawyer. He wouldn't do anything for me. I got the guy's name. The company, uh, I had trouble with the company. Uh, and that's, that's what my problem is. Yeah, well, I, I could tell you that uh, generally it's the employer's responsibility to maintain uh, records, okay? Right. If they're, if, so, so first you've got to look to the employer and see what their records are. <laughs> if, they're, if they're falsifying records... What you have to do, sir, is, is so you count as a witness and you potentially have to get other people that you worked with who viewed the hours that you worked and worked with you to get enough individuals to, to, to basically admit that these records were falsified that, to get corroborating that, evidence. That, now, that's now, no now, problem. Now, now, when you say that the time has passed, are, are they telling you the statute of limitations have the passed? Stab- yeah, the statute of limitations. Uh, the, the, the company doesn't want anything to do with me. Well, but how many years ago, sir, were you working the overtime? This, I, I, this happened in, uh, in the year two thousand. Yeah, so two thousand so, uh, is is way is way so too hold long. Hold on a second. Yeah. Two thousand. I went to the department of when I got I had the problem. Went to the department of labor. The department of labor said you are not entitled to overtime. I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "You're not entitled to the overtime." They, they told the department of labor. The department of labor told me I'm not entitled to the overtime. What am I supposed to do? Right, yeah. And I, went, I, I, and I found out, the guy, I phoned the guy back. He is, I got his card, it took me in my wallet. I phoned the guy and he says, you know, he, says, he made a mistake. I wasn't tied to everything. I said, good. Now I want to go and put in a complaint. He says, get yourself a lawyer. He won't do anything for me. Right, right. So, yeah. I've got the guy's name. Uh, I would like to speak to you people about getting, you know, getting my, uh, what I'm entitled to. Yeah, so... Um, unfortunately, um, the Department of Labor obviously gave you the wrong advice, and that's why I tell people, you know, sometimes you might want to stay away from these state agencies and contact private attorneys. Um, I, I could tell, I mean, listen, you, you're free to call my office on Monday, and I'll talk to you further, but the problem with your case right. is that it's so old at this point in time that the yeah, way that the, the, you know, listen, are, are you going to sue the Department of Labor? I mean, I guess that's a possibility. I, but going after your employer after all this time, uh, it doesn't it, it's matter gonna, it's because be I have the rec- I have the records of the, the people who worked with me when we were working overtime. Everything got paid with me. They took my. They sent it back to the to main office, and when the records were went to the main office, somebody at the main office removed the overtime. Mm. I was the only person of us, twenty of us who worked. I was the only one who didn't get paid. Yeah, listen, I, I sympathize with your situation, and sometimes I think the law is unfair. But, you know, in New York, you go back six years max. I know, but if... if, I, if I understand. I understand that you, that you, that you were given uh, the wrong information. 
Right. Uh, but uh, so the only the only place left to go is to try to get something against the Department of Labor. But uh, what, about, what about my company uh, who uh, falsified the records? Yeah, but but like like I said, if, if they falsified the records, you could go. If you called me within six years, it, it, would, it sounds no, no, like be a good case. It, all right, McCloskey, McCloskey. Okay, all right. Jonathan has been very kind. He's answering your questions there. If you want to follow up with him at his office, yeah, you yeah, can. I want, to, I want to follow up with him. We, we got to fly here. Thank you very much for your patience. Okay, wait, okay, wait, bye, bye. Right. 877-337-6666, our number here at The Fan. You have uh, questions you want to pose to Jonathan Bell. He's in studio with us. He's a labor and employment attorney, the owner of the Bell Law Group. He mentioned before, phone number to reach him, his office, 855-JOHN-BELL. That's 855-J-O-N-B-E-L-L. We'll uh, get to more calls from folks listening to us as well. Um, obviously, we've Hit some hot, hot buttons here in terms of uh, some of the issues that we were bringing up. One of the things that I want to touch upon, too, in um, the final portion of our discussion, and it's something you and I were talking about before we started the program today, is to talk about these um, cases that on um, the topic of job discrimination that the Supreme Court is saying it's going to consider, um, I guess the possibility would be that there might be some sort of determination about a year from now, and we'll talk about those cases and the significance of those uh, for LGBT uh, workers as well. Um, first, though, I'll tell you what we'll do is take a pause in our discussion with uh, Jonathan Bell uh, this morning. I'm Bob Solter, and you know you can join us, 877-337-6666 is our number, and our Zoom in is at the controls keeping us in fine form this Sunday morning. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about the fact that I'll be there for CMB tomorrow afternoon. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. We are in a discussion on our program this Sunday morning with uh, Jonathan Bell. He is in studio with us. He's a labor and employment attorney, the owner of Bell Law Group, and he's um, shared with us a lot of uh, information in this uh, area in which he works, we've tried to take some of your uh, thoughts as well. Uh, and I guess what we'll do is go back to the phones because the lines seem to be just jammed here, uh, too. Uh, first up, let's see who's been waiting the longest here. Uh, John in Malvern has been waiting forever. John, thanks for being so patient. Welcome to the fan. Hi, good morning, guys. Good morning. So um, pretty much is um, I've been dealing with discrimination uh, for the last 10 years. I work for Incorporated Village. Um, I will maybe like to talk to um, Mr. Bell later on. After I think I'll give him a call tomorrow. Um, but um, been dealing with discrimination for the last ten years at my my job. Um, I'm the only Latin Afro American that's there. Um, so pretty much um, with the name callings is um, you know you're a shoe shine, you're Obama. Um, you know, can I say? the big word on, on, on air or uh, we'd prefer that you didn't actually no. oh I do apologize so um, those are the certain names calling that I've been getting called and I had two incidents that has happened where I decided to take a leave of absence um, the first incident was with one of my colleagues um, he spit in my cup for no reason mm. just I'm sitting down in the lunchroom with the guys supervisors were there and he just grabbed my cup of water, and he just spit in it. Um, that happened two years ago. The second incident that made my final decision to take a leave of absence was 
I was um, I came back from the garbage route, sat down in the lunchroom again. Supervisors were there. My other colleagues were there as well. And um, when you when and in a corporate village, you you when you're picking up garbage, you you have to do the baskets for the parks and all and the other stuff. So I did that, and I come back, and the gentleman that that spit in my cup, him and I are going back and forth at it, um, and he ended up calling me, I'm a piece of, um, and he used the N-word. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to curse. I don't want to say, no, I'm keeping it as professional as I can. And he said the N-word. Mm-hmm. So both incidents happened, and I, I try to keep my call as possible, but both incidents, I, I walked out and I left. Um, the last incident, I, um, I ended up taking a leave of absence in November. Um, I haven't been to work since. I ended up getting an attorney um, because I thought that was going to be the best thing to do. I ended up doing all the legwork for my attorney, and I and I shut out all the money up front to the attorney. Mm. Now, I, I sat down with the, the village attorney. I explained to them what happened, and um, pretty much um, for Mr. Bell, what steps should I do from here on? Should I let the attorney get involved, or should I look for a different attorney because I feel like he hasn't done anything, and I'm just stuck. Right. So, so if I could, uh, so thank you for the call. I mean, this is exactly the reason why I got into the type of law that I do. So it sounds like you have a, a very uh, substantial hostile work environment claim. Okay, uh, it's it's so severe that it that it forced you to leave your job for a period of time. Um, as far as your attorney goes, I mean, there are some attorneys that charge money. Others, like me, we only take cases that we think we could win, so we do it on a contingency where you don't have to pay money up front. Uh, okay. The fact that you're doing all the lead work uh, certainly raises a red, red flag, and you might want to uh, consider looking around, uh, un- unfortunately. Now, I could tell you generally the way that the law is, is that if it's your coworkers that are getting on you and putting you in this, this hostile work environment, you have to complain to your supervisor because your company has to be on notice to, so, to, to be able to... Hold on, let me, let me just finish. Oh, no, go ahead, go yeah, ahead. Your company has to be on notice to take some action. And if they okay. don't take action, then they, there's a good lawsuit. If they do take immediate action, like separating people and training people, and, and then it stops, then they've done what they're required to do. Now, if the person who's giving you a hard time is a supervisor, then in that situation... Uh, because it's the supervisor in your chain of command causing these issues, then you could start a, a lawsuit. Uh, they already have liability, although still the proper course would even be go, to go over that person's head, put the company on notice, and see what, if any, remedial actions they take. Because just because something happens, that doesn't mean a company's liable. You do have to give them an opportunity to correct the behavior. Now, most importantly, once you make a complaint to your employer about discrimination, you are protected and cannot be retaliated against. If you are retaliated against for making uh, that disclosure, there are severe repercussions for the company uh, for retaliation. And those cases are often the easiest to prove and the most valuable. So let me give you a for instance. Sometimes people start a case and they actually lose on the initial case that they brought. But because they brought the case, they've been retaliated against. And in retaliation for their protected activity, um, uh, because of that uh, retaliation, they actually have a very strong lawsuit and oftentimes will win on the retaliation concept and lose on the underlying case. 
All right, John, okay. I appreciate your call this morning. we got to run here because we're jammed with No problem. Thank, thank you, guys. All right, thank sure. you, guys. Good luck Bye-bye to you. Now. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up is Eddie in the Bronx, who has also been holding forever. Eddie, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, I, I work for a city agency. I had job-related cancer. I was a, uh, well, currently I am. I'm on a, I'm on a reasonable accommodation. Uh, they let me remain, but they skipped over me for a promotion, a captain's promotion. I, uh, you know, I, I'm only, you know, 41. I'd like to remain with the department. But they won't promote me. I had a uh, uh, cancer surgery, and uh, I'm still a productive employee. I just can't do exactly what I used to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like I said, I'm on a reasonable accommodation, but I'd like to be promoted to captain, and they're not doing it. Uh, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, like the last caller, again, this is the reason I got in, and these are the calls, uh, uh, the type of cases I handle. So... Uh, number one, you got to figure out if, if in fact, you can perform the essential functions of that job, the job that you want, with or without a reasonable accommodation. If you, the accommodation you're requesting must be reasonable and can't be an undue uh, burden on them. So um, that that's something well, that um, that, that's something that, that you have to figure out with them. If you can't perform the job, even if it's a reasonable accommodation, then there's no way that you could be promoted. But if they're not giving you that promotion simply because of your disability, well, that's certainly discrimination. Okay. Well, they 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 told me that I wasn't going to be promoted because of the disability. I'm an instructor at the academy now. Uh, I am a productive member of the department still. I just can't, you know, basically ride around on fire trucks anymore. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I could tell you that the that these types of cases are very fact specific. For me to really determine whether or not you have a case right now, it's gonna it's gonna basically take an hour phone call in my office for you to call, and I'd be happy to sit with you and go through that. So my advice, so I, you you definitely have the makings of what can be a good case. I'm not saying you have okay, a good case. I, I, I have to find out more information. I did file a complaint with the department already. Okay, so based on the fact that you filed a complaint, again, that goes to back to my last theory. If they start to retaliate against you for that complaint, then you really have to let me know. Okay. Yeah, I am paying attention to that, believe me. I, I take it very serious. Very good. Very good. I look forward to your call on Monday. Okay, thank you, sir. Eddie, Thanks. thank you for your call this morning, too. Your patient's on the phone. Next up in Manhattan, we go to Shandell. Shandell, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Hi, Bob. How are you? Hi, John. I'm Hi. doing well. Um, I think I'm, let's see. I, I basically need some advice, basically. I'm a visually impaired person working, I don't know if I should say the company or not, or whatever. No, don't. Okay. So, basically, I work for a company. Um, I basically, I'll just say it's a warehouse company. Um, I had an issue with them when I got hired, and I had to take a lawsuit again. So I'm just trying to figure out if I should do it again or whatever. Basically, I feel like because of my visual impairment, I'm being looked over for a promotion or whatever. I went to my supervisor. My supervisor basically said, oh, we don't have no positions available. But yet, when I, every time I turn around, I'm seeing everybody else in, my comp- in the, you know, the whole company getting promoted or whatever. So I'm just trying to figure out the best course of action to do. And when I went to corporate, the corporate office, I made the complaint. The corporate um, basically just bypassed it like it was nothing. So I'm just trying to figure out what the best course of action should do. Should I do another, 
you know, legal thing or how do I handle it? Yeah, I mean, the best thing for you to do is certainly contact me. I mean, I could tell you that what you have to do is you have to look at the person who eventually was promoted into the position and then you got to... Well, no, it's not just one person. It's like very, you know, it's like basically across the board, people are getting promoted and because of I'm the only visually impaired person there, they're overlooking me. Right, right. So so you have to you have to look at each person that was promoted and mm-hmm. you got to compare your resume of qualifications versus theirs as best as you could. If you feel like you were the more qualified candidate over any of those individuals, then you probably have a case. But to, to be successful in that case, we have to show that, number one, you could perform the job even with or without a reasonable accommodation, and number two, that your qualifications were, ob- that you were obviously more qualified than the individual that was selected. That's how you prove discrimination in the situation that you're describing. Gotcha. Okay, so this is something I could definitely help you with, so please give me a call. So what's your number again? It's uh, 855-JOHN-BELL, 855-J-O-N-B-E-L-L. All right, thank you guys, and I will be calling you tomorrow. Awesome. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for, for the call. Alrighty. Uh, let's see, one more call here on the phone to Tim at uh, JFK Airport. Good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning, Bob and John. Uh, the question I have for you is that I was a 25-year employee at an airline. I was laid off, and uh, I had a two-year uh, period to bid a job, and it was nothing for me, so they terminated me. And my question to you is, when I retired, they cut my retirement in half. Why is that legal? Okay, so uh, a retirement benefits is a whole nother specialty uh, beyond okay. what I do. Uh, I wouldn't right. be able to answer that question. But what I, what I offer advice to everyone, I say, listen, I, I have a contact. I have contact with great attorneys, and I want to make sure that people are lined up and get the right counsel. So I always okay. offer to anyone I speak with, Give me a call in the office. I'll be happy to send you to somebody but, who could certainly help but, you and answer that question. But I guess my only question to you, doesn't that seem illegal to cut your retirement in half because you weren't on the, on the clock? Isn't it, that crazy? It, it, it seems crazy, and it seems illogical. I could tell you that some of the laws and the rules don't always make sense, okay? It seems like uh, something they shouldn't be able to do. But to get right. to, i got to get you to the right person to, who, could, who could ask you. My instinct tells me no, but my instinct's not always in line with what the law is. You wouldn't believe how surprised everybody was when they put in for their retirement, and because they weren't on the clock, it was cut in half. But thank you. Okay, thanks. Ready? Thank you for your call this morning and your patience on the phone. Now, we only have a couple minutes here. Let's try to do this very quickly. I want to touch upon these cases that are between uh, coming before the Supreme Court. What do they involve? So it's actually a big issue. Um, uh, It's the first time that the Supreme Court is going to make decisions on three cases involving sexual orientation and employment, and is that covered under uh, Title VII? Uh, I could tell you that, you know, at least in New York, New York does have laws and rules that cover sexual orientation since 2003. It's called SONDA, the Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act. But this is at a federal level. There are some states that don't have these same protections, so this, this might affect millions of gay employees in the workforce as to whether or not they're allowed or not allowed to be sued for discrimination simply because they're gay. Hmm. And the expectation is that in 2020 there could be a ruling? Yeah, from what I read, uh, June of 2020 is when we expect a ruling. And, and you know, anyone who listens to me probably knows the way that I lean. I can't imagine 
that anybody in our day and age would say it's okay to discriminate against someone, against any characteristic, other than if they're doing a good job or not doing a good job. It just, it just, uh, uh, it, it, it surprises me that anybody would, would, would feel that they could fire somebody simply because they're gay. Amazing set of discussions that we have had, and we haven't even covered everything that I was thinking of covering in uh, the course of our time with uh, Jonathan Bell on our program. He's a labor and employment attorney, owner of Bell Law Group, 855-JOHN-BELL, 855-J-O-N-B-E-L-L. His uh, phone number to reach him, you want to ask a question of him. Very kind with sharing with us in our discussion. Certainly good luck. Continue with your work. I really appreciate, again, you having me on. It's always been a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. We have another guest who is going to join us in our next hour here on The Fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.